Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Pastoral burnout is sadly a reality. It doesn't happen to every pastor, but it happens too often. What if a pastor doesn't have the comfort of the gospel as he tries to minister and serve his people and his congregation? What if he has decided that that gospel is its old hat? It needs to be revised and it needs to be given a relevance update. And he is determined to deconstruct the Christian faith and rebuild something that he thinks is more relevant. How much faster do you think he's going to burn out? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about the burnout of a deconstructionist pastor, Pastor Hans Feeney. He's pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis, a contributor to The Federalist, a creator of a series of comical videos called Lutheran Satire, and author of a recent column for World News Group titled The Crushing Yoke of a Deconstructionist Pastor. Hans, welcome back. Good to be here. So who is Alexander Lang? So Alexander Lang is the former pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Arlington Heights, Illinois, which is a position I imagine most people in the universe were not aware of uh, anyone holding. But he recently wrote a blog post that uh, went fairly viral on Christian social media about why it is that he chose to step down from that position. He'd been a pastor for, I believe, around 10 years. So he was serving a congregation of the Presbyterian Church USA, which is of a more theologically liberal variety. If you look around at his blog, you can see really clearly from his blog and his website in general, which is called restorativefaith.org. If you read the about section, it's very clear that he's gone full-blown into the progressive Christianity direction, sees the Christian doctrine as something that needs to be broken down and torn apart and all of the uh, embarrassing aspects of it cast away so that it can, can be turned into something, as he puts it, that's worth believing. In his piece, he talks about why it is that he chose to resign as a pastor, kind of starts off talking about a lot of the general things that make parish life difficult for those who are serving as pastors. And so it kind of starts off being somewhat relatable, I would say, for most pastors. Uh, but as he, the kind of the further he goes along through it, it becomes a bit clear that he doesn't actually believe the Christian faith and he wants to be something other than a man charged with proclaiming the gospel of the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. So how did he describe his, for lack of a better word, his burnout? Yeah, so there, there are a few things. I mean, he points to kind of these general statistical categories of a Barna survey that talked about why pastors have considered quitting, you know, so the immense stress of the job, feeling lonely and isolated, political divisions, the effect that it has on your family, the future of the church. He talks in there about 
the sort of poor pastoral compensation across the board, even though I think that's a, quite a bit of a disingenuous argument that he's making. It gives a, a number that somewhere around $55,000 a year is the average income for your average PCUSA pastor. I don't know how exactly how they figure that, whether or not they're counting their elders as pastors in that, as clergy in that. But he very clearly was getting paid quite a bit more at a very large suburban congregation in a wealthy suburb of Chicago. But it kind of starts off with that type of stuff. But then as he goes along, he basically talks about how having to carry the burdens of your people weighs you down over time, uh, which is something that a lot of guys can, I suppose, relate to. But he speaks about it in such a way where it's like he kind of viewed himself as a therapist whose job it was to heal people and to fix people rather than as a pastor who is basically walking with them as they carry their burdens and leave their burdens at the feet of Christ. Talks about the phenomenon of what he calls a thousand bosses, how anyone who comes into his church is essentially his boss, how you have people that want competing things. They're not necessarily clear on what they want, which is, again, kind of partly relatable, I think, for a lot of parish pastors, except for the fact that if you have a strong, robust understanding of the office of the ministry, you recognize that you have one boss. Your boss is the triune God. And while your members may have different ideas for what they want the church to be, and while it may take some wisdom and some gentleness and kind of shepherding in them, them in that direction, it's certainly not a biblical notion to think of your members all of being your bosses that you're accountable to. And he also talks a bit about his, he doesn't quite put it this way, but the lack of validation that he received from how he approached the idea of preaching and teaching in his congregation, that it's its very clear from a couple of quotes in his essay, how it is that he viewed the purpose of preaching was to challenge people's preconceptions and to basically dismantle traditional Christian orthodoxy. Uh, and to basically hollow out the faith and stuff it full of progressive theology in order to give that to people. And despite being in a, in a more progressive church body, my guess is that there were still a good number of people in his congregation that actually wanted something in the realm of Jesus. And he had no intention of giving that to them. And so was not receiving the validation that pastors like to receive. And when they, we typically like to know and recognize that what we're saying matters to people and that they appreciate what we're saying. Well, you deprive your people of Jesus. And even in, in liberal church bodies, even in church bodies that have kind of corporately denied the gospel, you're still going to have some saints of the actual church there who are none too pleased with having their Lord entirely taken away from them. Go into a little more detail about the difference between Lang's predicament, as he describes it, and the real pressures that are faced by other pastors like yourself. Sure. Well, the way I describe it in the piece is I say I'm not a better pastor than he is. It's that I'm a pastor and he's something else entirely. He wants to basically be a low-rent therapist and a low-stakes kind of community director. I forget exactly how I put it in the piece. Whereas I want to be a shepherd. And being a shepherd means that you recognize that your responsibility is to take the sheep of Christ who belong to him and to faithfully feed them with his word, which is, is certainly a, a challenge and there's a great amount of pressure to that. But in the end, it's a pressure that doesn't really last 
because my job is not to fix people's, you know? So for example, if I have someone who is having psychological problems, my job is not to deconstruct the Christian faith to figure out what two or three elements I can pick from the debris to give to someone to better his psychological condition. My job is to proclaim the gospel to that person. It's to see where it is that he has turned from God's righteousness with his sin to call him to repentance and to show him the mercy and forgiveness that Christ has delivered to him. My job is not to create an environment in the church where all people from all walks of life feel welcomed and affirmed. My job is to proclaim the gospel that brings unity to people of every generation, of every culture, every tribe, every tongue, because it gives that same promise of salvation to all who believe. So there's something that I think that people should recognize that you should really should probably actually expect a lot of discord in these kind of progressive church bodies going forward. Because when people take the external things of the church, when they take the outer trappings of the church and hollow them out to turn the church into something else, you should expect things to fall apart. In the same way that if you rewrite the genetic code of an organism just randomly, if you try to, through genetic manipulation, turn a mouse into a monkey, you shouldn't expect it to work. It's going to fall apart. And this is something that we should just simply expect to see in progressive churches where, well, all right, well, this thing that we're gathered around, these pulpits and these altars and these fonts are all supposed to be centered around the word of forgiveness, the word of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And if you try to turn the church into something else, it's just going to be disjointed and no one's going to know what the thing is. So when he describes this phenomenon of having a thousand bosses, there are certainly in any congregation, you're going to find people who have different preferences in terms of the kind of hymns that they want to sing or how they want worship to be, or whether they want the pastor to be a little more intellectual or a little more folksy in how he presents his message from the pulpit. But if you have Christians there, they're going to want to hear the gospel. And if you take that out of the equation, then you turn it into a kind of bloodbath of power and anarchy and everyone trying to gain power in this kind of anarchic soup of trying to figure out, well, what is the church now? What does it become? That's simply the way that we should expect things to go. So as, as difficult as being a pastor is, you should always expect being a community activist masquerading as a pastor to be infinitely more difficult. Pastor Hans Feeney is our guest. We're talking about the burnout of a deconstructionist pastor on this Tuesday afternoon. When we come back, he says that Lang couldn't survive being starved of validation by the people he was starving of Christ. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world. 
specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. For more than 100 years, Emmanuel Lutheran Church has been confessing the faith, proclaiming the gospel, administering the sacraments, and caring for our neighbors in the city of Houston, Texas. At Emmanuel, you will find services using the liturgy, lectionary, and hymns of the church, and Bible studies devoted to understanding God's Word. We also offer a day school for students aged 18 months through pre-kindergarten. Emmanuel is located at 306 East 15th Street, Houston, Texas. You can find us on the web at emmanuelhouston.org. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. Come and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to, to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while, to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're talking about a burnout of a deconstructionist pastor with Pastor Hans Feeney. He is a creator of a series of comical videos called Lutheran Satire. The Lutheran Witness magazine interprets the world from a Lutheran perspective. The theme of the latest issue is Christian apologetics and biblical archaeology. The October theme is a subjective versus a biblical view of truth. You can receive an annual print and digital subscription to the Lutheran Witness for less than $20.00. Find out more at cph.org slash witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, the Lutheran Witness Magazine. Hans, you say that Lang couldn't survive being starved of validation by the people he was starving of Christ. What do you mean by that? If you starve people of Christ and you teach them that the church is something other than what the scriptures say it is, then what you're saying is, we're opening it up to a million competing ideas for what the church should be. You're going to get a couple things that happen there. You're going to get those who actually believe who want the church to actually be the church, and so they're not going to appreciate your sermons that deny them Christ. 
And then those who go along with you and want the church to be something other than the church, they may not want Jesus, but they're not going to agree on what they actually want the church to be, which means that however many of them disagree with your vision of what the post-church should be, they're going to hate you and they're going to snipe at you and they're going to fight with each other about controlling what it is that the supposedly new institution is going to, is going to be. So in all of that, we should expect that when you take Christ away from the church, it's going to not only harm your people, but it's also going to cause your people to harm you. What do you make of Lang's frustration with preaching? Well, I don't think he believes in preaching. So I don't feel in the slightest bit bad for him. There are plenty of guys who we'd have great theological differences where I would still feel a tremendous amount of sympathy for them if they express the idea that I work on my sermon all week and I get up into the pulpit and it just, I don't seem to be on the same page with people and I'm not getting the feedback that I want to get and it's not valued to people. I completely understand that impulse, even if we have some different conclusions on some pretty serious issues. But if guys are seeking to proclaim the gospel of Christ, they'll have my sympathy if their members don't appreciate that when that's what they're doing. I don't have any sympathy for him that he wants to take something that may not be sacred to his church body anymore, but it's probably sacred to at least some people in his pews. Maybe if it's only 25%, that's still a good chunk of folks. I don't have any sympathy for a guy who takes something that is sacred, hates it clearly and publicly despises it, wants to tear it apart, and then ultimately says to people, if you want all of that same Jesus and Bible stuff, this idea that your sins are forgiven in the blood of Christ, you're backwards in your thinking and you're stuck and entrenched in ancient thinking and you're not willing to have your ideas questioned and you're not willing to explore new ideas like I am. You hate and despise the sheep of Christ and I have no sympathy for you whatsoever when you don't feel as though your giant exercise in deconstructing the faith has been validated. Why can a, a real Christian pastor deal with the sins and burdens of his people's lives day after day? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, on the one hand, there are guys who who will have circumstances arise where they can't do it. And I've known guys who are faithful men who, for one reason or another, through various struggles, just had to step away from the parish. And that was what was best for them and their families. So I don't want to give the impression that if your faith is strong enough, you'll never suffer or feel like you can't remain as a pastor. But what I will say, certainly, like I said before, is however difficult it is to be a pastor for someone who believes, it's always going to be more difficult for someone who doesn't believe. In particular, if you see yourself as a therapist rather than as a pastor, there's kind of this question of, all right, well, people confess their sins to you or they unload their burdens onto you. They come to you with their marital problems, with their family problems, with their financial problems, their sicknesses, their diseases, all of that. It's a heavy load to carry. And any guy who's been in the parish can tell you, you know, if you sit down and do a session of marital counseling for a couple that's on the brink of divorce, or if you go visit someone, you know, a child who's dying in the hospital, you will have significantly less energy than you did at the beginning of the day. It does certainly wear you out. But when your aim is to bring people to the cross and to point people to Jesus, what you're really doing is you're taking that load off of them and then walking with them to the cross where you're leaving it. 
So he talks in this about one thing that was just very different about our experiences, for example, is he talks about you minister to people and you're always aware of their burdens and their sufferings and their challenges. And I am in the sense where if you ask me about it, I can tell you what those things are. If you ask me what diseases people have had that I've gone to see them in the hospital for, I can tell you what that is. But the idea that it's just at the forefront of my mind is not at all my experience because my job isn't to fix them. My job isn't to cure them in some kind of psychological way using a little bit of Christian scented dust in the process. My job is to bring them to Christ, and he's the one who carries the load. So in the same way that when people confess their sins to me, I think oftentimes people have this notion that I was going to change my relationship with the pastor because he's going to think of me differently. I don't think about it at all because these aren't my burdens to carry forever. They're my burdens to carry for a minute to bring them to the foot of the cross, but that's where I leave them. And when you have somewhere else to leave them, and when you in particular can leave them in the hands of the Savior who's telling you that's my burden, not yours, then it's much easier to be free from the kind of long-term exhaustion that he seems to be describing there that I just don't think is really at all this prevalent amongst pastors who believe in confession and absolution, who believe in the sacraments, who believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures, who believe that there is a real Christ who really hears you, who can truly be found in the bread and the wine and the waters of baptism. When you have that, the burden is just not anywhere nearly as crushing. Pastor Hans Feeney is pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis. He's a contributor to the Federalist, creator of a series of comical videos called Lutheran Satire, author of a recent column for World News Group titled The Crushing Yoke of a Deconstructionist Pastor. You can find a link to this column and to Lutheran Satire at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Hans, thanks. Thank you very much. We will be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, Jesus' admonition in Matthew 6, Do Not Be Anxious, with Pastor Peter Bender. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Repentance and forgiveness, sin and grace, law and gospel, more than cliches, real preaching for real people in need of hearing the real Christ. Christ for you in the divine service at St. Paul Lutheran Church of Hamill, Illinois, where we gather every Saturday night at 6 and on the Lord's Day, Sunday mornings at 7.45 and 10. Look for the Church of the Neon Cross on I-55 between exits 30 and 33. Find us on the web, stpaullutheranchurchhamill.org. St. Paul Lutheran Church of Hamill, where there is the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation for the people of God.